And we're back with the Glassness Podcast. Uh, today, it's uh, me, myself, and I, Dennis Grinko, your local shiphead at large. We have my my regular second talking head and co-host. <laughs> my name is Eric McDowell. <laughs> His name is Aaron McDowell. He's laughing and, too hard and, right and, now. Uh, and uh, I'm known in the North End and West Kildonan as your friendly, angry neighborhood Irish guy. Um, <laughs> and... Um, we have another person who I hope is not a guest, but a regular host, because I love him a lot. And can you go ahead? Well, thank you, Aaron. I appreciate that. I'm Raymond Weiss, the eternal malcontent with a smile on his face. <laughs> and you may remember him from our last podcast. <laughs> I was, was here. He was a great contributor. I said some things. I hope you won't hold that against me. And uh, we want to thank... We want to talk about our sponsors uh, we're brought to you today by blue check marks on twitter <laughs> oh that's good <laughs> the blue check marks are very important we should always listen to them uh butch patterson who you may not know about and uh who was our last oh, we, sponsor we have an emergency sponsor here it seems like a lot of their sponsorship deals have fallen through it's vinta saldia the primary financer of the Nord Stream 2 pipeline oh, oh. welcome aboard vinta saldia so today we're going to talk about a couple of, a couple of our two main subjects, and not forgetting that we're all doom scrolling World War Three. But we're going to talk about uh, the CBC. It is what it is. Yeah. We're talking about the CBC. Oh, I'm going to love this. And we're going to talk about the the bubble that is the Canadian housing market because that's that's just a whole lot of fun. But let's dive into our first subject. So the CBC. We have uh, we have two we have the, our our two main talking heads here, Ray and uh, and Aaron, are in some ways on the same page and in some ways they're apart. So so we're gonna let Ray take this off, and the reason why is because uh, I understand where he's coming from. We're gonna argue on a few points, but I just want Ray to give his opening statement on this. All right. Well, I guess that's my cue to take it away. So I'm going to start with the uh, the context that I regard myself as a consistent, principled leftist. Though I'm not sure that term fits me that well anymore, but it's not because I've changed. Now, the CBC was deeply influential on me as a child. You know, a lot of its programming I thought was really good. You know, not to date myself, but in the ni- or like late 1980s and 1990s. But, uh, you know, things have changed a lot since then, especially since Harper made some adjustments to the board. And uh, I've just noticed over the years consistently, you know, having to put up with more and more of this uh, water caring for Washington. Like whenever a story focuses on something international... It's like a press release or some kind of memo went straight from the State Department to the CBC and they read that thing on air verbatim. They've never seen a coup they didn't support at the time. They've never seen a war they didn't support at the time. The only redeeming characteristic of the CBC that I, that I felt was arts and culture and a certain amount of domestic politics coverage or, or social issue coverage. With the advent of the modern state of multinational corporatocracy where regardless of you what you feel about the reality of that situation it has been ruthlessly exploited to benefit the rich and elites every single decision that's been made has been one to benefit the ultra wealthy and the CBC have done nothing nothing to provide a counter context on this issue they are 100% in the bag for the rich of Canada, the international rich, and the Liberal Party's agenda. To quote-unquote from the Sinclair-owned news stations, this is an extremely dangerous to our democracy, right? We've all seen that clip where all the Sinclair-owned stations said the exact same statement on air on the same day. Like, okay. So, with, with you know, with, with that whole, like, you know, uh, a great threat to our democracy bit, that makes complete sense to me, right? So... Go ahead and give me more. Well, you know, I think there's a lot to the uh, expression, you know, he who pays the piper calls the tune. Yes. And we see, you know, the Trudeau government is not only funding 
the CBC to the tune of what is it 1.4 billion dollars a year now I don't really see the value there personally but you know I'm sure a lot of people do that's fine but you know I think if you look at Canadian media if you look at CTV and global and CBC there is it's 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 all just different strengths of the same of the same drink like it's the same stuff the same sort of you know inoffensive you know staying warm and safe in the middle of the status quo kind of Canadian you know political bullshit right but but the CBC used to be so vital and so important like a show like kids in the hall mm -hmm. would not have been possible and why was that because they got a contract for the whole year and they weren't affected by you know oh if we if our ratings are so low this week mm -hmm. we're gonna get canceled no they, 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 they could do a whole seasons they would they would do bits that run through a whole season and they weren't funny at first but when you saw them the next week and then the next week and then the built the bit built up mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it was so hilarious because they could do it long form there were shows like butch patterson which no one knows about it was cbc country canada which i think should be one of our sponsors one day but they don't exist anymore <laughs> but they had such great content back in 99 that was absolutely hysterical and these days you can't you can't even find a torrent of that stuff you can't buy it on dvhs or dvd they are lost relics of old canadian media that we just don't have access to anymore but there are so many uh uh, CBC uh, documentaries like like made for TV movies yeah that got banned two of them um, one the first one that comes to mind is uh, is net worth oh yeah when was that what year you think uh, that was probably around 96 mm-hmm and the reason why net worth was banned was because it talked about the NHLPA. So the NHLPA is the National Hockey League Players Association. Mm -hmm, their union, yeah. Yes, that's right. And and that movie is banned from the CBC. Mm. And what's that? Don't know. <laughs> what are but, 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 but I can tell you why. Uh, the second movie that I'm about to uh, talk about, the Tommy Douglas story. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. What was that got banned? Why did that get banned? That got banned because the liberals, who control the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, said this is not kind to liberals in Saskatchewan. <laughs> <laughs> They're bringing a lot of seats. I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, today especially, uh, there's you know there's a real focus on uh, you know on amending our visions of history rather than accepting what yes. people thought at the time and moving yes. on. And you know, trying to cater to the western side of Canada because yeah. they're so upset. They're so upset, and and. The, the liberals are powerless in that part of the country mm -hmm. because all the seats in Saskatchewan well, and Alberta... Well, geez, you wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if the first Trudeau didn't uh, upset them enough, this new one's doing a damn fine job of it, I must he's, say. He's doing okay. Well, no, that's why I was so upset, uh, you know, two weeks ago yep. with what was going on. Can I return to the like previous point we were talking yeah, about? Yeah, of course. So yes. my first guess, especially at the time for the the banning of a of a movie, you know, that I haven't seen a, a documentary about the NHLPA, would be that the CBC had a very tight link with the NHL. They were always the ones who carried the games before it's been dang, 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 dang. into the United States. And yeah, you know, that's that just makes perfect sense that they'd be working hand in glove together. I'd like to offer I'd like to offer my suggestion for what went wrong with the CBC. Yes. Which is, from the highest level, it was NAFTA. 
because NAFTA changed things in a fundamental way. Like we can pass little bits of legislation to try to protect Canadian culture from global capitalism, you know, from just being uh, absorbed and diffusing into Americanism. Yeah. But if we institute something like NAFTA, you know, which which basically determines our relationship in survival in the economic system in the world, like Canadianism is dead. We are we are now a colony of the American Empire. We're a closely linked one. We we exist on their near periphery, so we are we reflect their culture more and more. And any sort of devices that we once used to try to maintain, you know, our discrete identity are just overwhelmed by the reality of who we are and what we are today, how we live. It's less of a distinct identity and more of a reflection of yes. the yeah, identity that, that... That arm's length relationship we like to keep, you know, imagining ourselves just a little bit better than our southern neighbors. <laughs> where <laughs> in fact, we're, we're just a, a facsimile in a yeah, mirror. Absolutely, yeah. The, the polite Canadian smugness, you know. <laughs> oh, oh, it's pretty bad here, but look at the Americans. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I am uh, 100% on board with that, yeah. Right, but uh, there there were some, again, the, the benefits of the CBC used to be more apparent. And even, you know, the, the more recent things, like uh, the more Canadian content that has come out over the past well, half a decade, like Letterkenny. Was this, this is a very kite Canadian identity well, show? Well, 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 okay. Before we go on to Lair Kenny, let's just discuss, right? Okay, so I was born in 1980, mm -hmm. right? So when I grew up, what were the shows that I watched? Okay, first of all, I had four channels to watch, <laughs> right? Okay, so you had the CBC, you had SRC. And you had uh, uh, CK and uh, and then uh, there was uh, 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 CKY. Don't, don't forget the Weather Channel. Ooh, oh, the weather no, channel. no, 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 no! I grew up in the country. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you told told the weather by sticking your head out the door. Yes. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I grew up in the country, right? And I grew up there until I was eleven. Right, and then we got the fuck out of there because things get a little. There was a lot of politics. Yeah. Right, and so we moved to St. Pete, and then I became what I call myself as, and what I tell my friends that Liberated we were. Liberated gay man. Yeah. Got it. No. No. Oh, I'm sorry. I no, guess no, I misunderstood no. you completely. No, no. All right, let's oh, move on. I, I would, I would love to be gay. That's not, that's not my problem. Um, no, no. Uh, uh, we um, decided that we are Saint-Pi ghetto trash. Oh, okay. Okay. That sounds pretty cool to me. Well, yeah. It, it depends what age you are, right? So. So then, as soon as I turned 18, I moved to the North End. And I started working at the bar. And I've spent my entire life, except for a couple of years uh, in Vancouver, where I was welding, because I'm a welder by trade, right? Mm -hmm. um, what I'm saying is, you have to understand your surroundings, right? Context and, is everything. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, 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 nuance. It's not context, it's nuance, right? Because there's lots of context, but nuance, right? And once you understand nuance, then you can get through all that stuff and figure out where the hell you have to go to get away from this. So the CBC, like you have Adrian Arsenal she is definitely a CIA plant 
as people tell me. Hmm. Well, I can't say that I know this, but... My... No, I'm just saying people tell me this. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. A lot of people are saying, as the great DJT would say. Well, it's just like... It's like why... It's like... So I have people calling me up and they're like, Well, you have Adrian Arsenal going on TV and she's saying, Venezuela definitely needs to be invaded. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, I thought you were a reporter. What are you reporting? Yeah, yeah, reporting or, the uh, or, popular or, opinions. Or, or are you just being a stenographer of the establishment? The, Again, I'm not asserting this. I'm asking questions. Okay? <laughs> I want to be very clear about that. Okay. <laughs> okay, so it was not an assertion, but a question to say she's definitely a CIA plant. <laughs> Clear, understandable. No, that's what no people questions. people call me up and they say that to me. Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. You as a you know as a representative of your constituents, they're like, "Is this what's happening?" Oh, we're not talking about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll cut it. Don't worry. It's fine. Yep. Uh, we'll edit this heavily. My my. <laughs> my experience, you know, like I always like to approach all of these issues from sort of a solipsistic point of view, where I can't really know anything outside of the boundaries of my own skull. Yeah, you know, like because we, you're not there. Well, and we, yeah, and we live in a media panopticon. If you don't see it yet, you're either choosing not to see it, or you're just one of these potted plant people that you know you're much closer to something that needs to be watered every day than something that actually has free will and thought. And that's fine, you know. If if you just want to be comfortable and bask in the sun all day, then by all means, potted plant it up. But it is clear we're in a media panopticon where opinions, views are, are censored heavily, are adjusted, are adapted. One of the clearest things you need to understand about government is they will lie to you 100% of the time because there's always a better story than the truth. It's public relations 101. There is always a better story to tell 100%. Either to make you look better or your opponents look worse. Yep. So please, yep. start with the premise that the government is always lying. There and is, work backwards from there. There is no truth, and everything's propaganda. Oh, there is definitely truth. There is definitely truth, but it is, no one has it. No one, all of us, all of us, we try to approximate it, we try to understand it, we try to pursue it, but we must be loyal. We're trying our best. Be loyal to the pursuit. You know, you don't just give up and start promoting... You know, lies or, or baseless accusations because they'll benefit you and your friends. They're, this is moral depravity of a yes. high order that, that our society, one of the many varieties that our society condones and treats like some kind of virtue. And the CBC is fraught with this. It, they have such a lineup of, of pretty quaffed morons who are, who are professionals at sounding like they know something. They know nothing. Trust me, they know nothing. Well, the CBC is no different than the CTV or Global, right? Because what you have is, and I've, I've said this, right? And I will go on the record and say this, okay? Mm -hmm. There are only like four reporters, mm -hmm. like journalists, actual journalists yeah. in Winnipeg. Okay. Yeah, yeah, and they scalp all of those off of media organizations like the Free Press that don't get the kind of funding the CBC does. Yeah, no. they, they do. I, I, I know people at the... Okay, Press. here's where we're <laughs> going to go with this. Okay, so... Oh, this is going to be so good. Okay, so... Like, what was the it? Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, okay... Why does it have adverts? That's a good question, I guess, because there's a certain amount of privatization going on. You know how I feel about that? Good. You love it. 
<laughs> no, I hate it. For the, For the record, that was a big. That thumbs was a big down. thumbs down. Yeah. yeah, that was a big thumbs down. Okay, <laughs> so what I'm saying is, we bring back the CBC to what it was well, fifty years ago. Fifty. <laughs> That's the, quite a big stretch. The problem is, fifty years ago there was a hegemonic message. There was there was. An orthodoxy that was accepted by the vast, vast majority of Canadian citizens. So a single message could be distributed, and people would take that and they would they would collaborate with it. Because we were more of a single that's right identity. All all sorts of reasons for that: race and ethnicity, the new project of the Canadian society that was you know the abuse of the indigenous people of this country, and of course the. You know, various laborers of color who came here to try to make a living for themselves. Um, the issue of the CBC. Jesus Christ. And why we cannot return to what it was 50, 50 years or even ago. 30 years ago. Okay, yes. Okay. Is because back then there was more of a, of a unified sense of Canadian identity. Of, of, of a multicultural, you know, open, free, liberal society. Yeah, the, the, Canadian, the Canadian mosaic. Rather yes. than the American melting pot. That's right, and 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 an ongoing sort of in- inclusivity. Like there was a real and substantial optimism in the late nineteen eighties, like and early nineties. Everyone thought this was gonna keep getting better forever, and everyone was invested in the Canadian project. Or not? I shouldn't say everyone. Of course, not everyone. There's always an exception. Exactly. But there was, you know, this Canadian identity. And the vast majority of people, they saw issues of, like, racism and, you know, injustice to indigenous peoples as problems that would inevitably eventually be solved. Today, right. we're in a we very didn't. different place. <laughs> we are in a very, very different place. It turns out we still just put them in prison. <laughs> who, who would have thought that it didn't change? If only someone had... <laughs> seen this coming. If only someone had the power and the influence to do something. <laughs> if, if only they, like, uh, they're talking about banning racism. And I think that's, oh! that's a we very... We should totally ban racism. Like, that, that would solve everything. They haven't we banned should... it yet? <laughs> oh, how does that... How? What? Like, I feel like we're always... It's always something in Philadelphia. Well, it, it's still... If it's still legal, it must be okay. Yeah. <laughs> Is, is it not? Am I wrong about that? Going, oh, there's oh. something to be said for that. Well, anyways, what I see today is that like we are we are moving, obviously, out of the period of unipolar hegemony into a multipolar world, and a media organization is oh, in the future yes. will have to 100%. reflect this. You know the various points of view. Trying to take it over. We need multiple views we need different perspectives there is nothing more toxic than this censorship going on right now <gasps> yes yes even if you don't agree you need to know honestly what your ideological opponents are thinking and that i think is what we really need from a from a national media organization in canada is honest points of view from all of the different you know we need to have clear ideas in canada yeah, we need they, to have a sense of of having ideological opponents and not just having a single focused point of view. It it, it, it can't just be one message from all outlets. That's we right. need to have an honest debate and an honest separation of different views rather than both sides pushing the same kind of message. Isn't the CBC supposed to reflect all Canadians' views in some ah, way? Isn't it? Aren't they? We have huge numbers of Canadians in this country. Decent people. Decent working people. Who hold views that I don't hold. Like, there, there are a lot of people in this country who really, to, their, to the core of their of being, the core of their person, they hold contrary views to the liberal orthodoxy. And they are reflected nowhere in the CBC. None! Conservative Christians exist. We have them in Canada. They're real people that deserve a voice. Right. But, but, but we would rather sweep that under the rug. Absolutely. In, in, the, in the favor of presenting the Canadian, uh, the Canadian viewpoint as a, as a single monolith block. Yes. That only represents diversity. Spoken for exclusively by the liberal bourgeoisie. 
and it should be mentioned, it's it's not just conservative Christians who are a significant constituent in this country that needs representation. We have all sorts of constituencies, big ones that are growing. How about the Sikh community? How much representation do they have? They have a traditional culture that is not this status quo orthodox liberal culture. The Filipino community. Absolutely. Which There's is a giant immigrant group Roman in Catholic. Winnipeg. Roman Catholic. Almost exclusively, though that might be changing now. So this is, this is, you know, cultural groups that see no representation on the CBC, none whatsoever, unless they, you know, bow and show deference to the liberal hegemony. Yeah, I mean, we have uh, Kim's Convenience. Kim's Convenience. Kim's Convenience. Like, (laughs) they have representation in our satirical media and, you know, in in that sense, but they don't have... A voice in our political representation. Representation of of skin color alone. They are the people represented are the standard run of the mill status quo liberal Canadians. This is this is it's it you can drop whatever racial ethnicity, whatever cultural group you want in there, it's the same culture. Yeah. whereas the immig- immigrant communities are, are not that's right. Not being represented. Yeah, they come. They come with life experiences and an understanding of other countries that we could really benefit from here, if we weren't so firmly committed to shutting them out of the discourse. Absolutely. That's who these people are. These are the the wealthy children of of of, of the wealthy children of wealthy, wealthy children of wealthy yes. children. Yeah, maybe some of these. They're called dare-do-wals. Do nothings. <laughs> yes. You know, Hunter Biden's. Yes, <laughs> Donald J. Trump Jr.'s. <laughs> well, maybe a little like... more charismatic, maybe a little less fraught with public difficulties, except for <laughs> John Gameshi. But uh... <laughs> oh, <laughs> they uh. love that guy so much. He was their favorite. <laughs> we have we have hotcakes and we have hot takes. This is this is where we're at, baby. No, I, at the end of the day, and. I think we can all agree on this. Um, two things. Number one, uh, I think that the three of us should be doing this podcast every single Sunday. Number one, we're working, but but I also would like to have maybe a, an occasional other guest once in no, a while. No, of course we're gonna have guests. Yeah. No, but second of all, <laughs> is that we understand what's going on. A little bit, okay. Yeah. No, we're doing well, our best. Well, 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 a little bit, right? No, no, but a little bit. But where's the money going? <laughs> well, who, where's the money going? Who was it that said, question. "Follow the money, and you'll see where the interest lies"? I think that was Vladimir Ilyich Ulyanov. Where's the money going? Where's that going? better be a Ukrainian name. <laughs> I think that Vladimir because if it's not, it's racist. That's right. It's racist. That's right. I forget where 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 Lenin's heritage was, but I think there may be some Ukrainian in there. I, I forget. Good, good. <laughs> Just like my favorite Georgian, Joseph Stalin. Oh. <laughs> He was the original Georgia. Let's let us let us be real. It was he was the OGG. <laughs> I'm actually dead now. Oh, you've heard of him? <laughs> you heard, you, that's, you that's know cool. the guy? I didn't know that until just no? now. Oh, really? Oh man. Oh, he he had some things to say. Do you hear what he did? <laughs> Do you know what he did? Oh, I hope. Hello, my. Uh, he, he, uh, he, he his. His resume is extensive. Yeah, he killed, uh, he killed, uh, uh, 30 million fucking Ukrainians. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll fact check that. <laughs> well, we're going to take a beat and, uh, have another word from our sponsors in a second. Uh, Holy and we'll fuck. be right back. Oh. Word from our sponsors, Vidosoldia, as well as blue check marks on Twitter, and 3M face masks, which you can even, you can wear even when you're healthy. So we are back, and uh, we had this uh, CBC segment, but we want to talk about the Canada housing market. And uh, <laughs> I'm still here with Ray Weiss and Aaron McDowell. Give it a shout out. Hello. Oh, yeah. All right. So 
We're gonna play a clip for you in just a few moments. If you if you've seen it, ignore it. But we're gonna play you about three and a half minutes of audio, just so that you can have some context as to what uh, our question period in the House of Commons is, and then we will get back to the subject at hand. Uh, my question is for the Minister of Middle Class Prosperity, who is a member of Parliament here in Ottawa. What is the average cost for a home in the City of Ottawa? The Honourable Minister. Uh, Mr. Speaker, my uh, title is the Minister of Tourism and Associate Minister of Finance. I'm sure my honourable colleague across the way knows that. But let me say, Mr. Speaker, 156,000 jobs. The Honourable Member for Carleton. The Minister of Treasury Board uh, can help uh, by telling us the average cost of a house in uh, the, the nation's capital. The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, I want to say 106% of jobs have been recovered since the lowest point of the pandemic. Member for Carleton. What is the uh, average increase in house prices since this government took, house, uh, took office uh, uh, in 2015? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, Canada's economy contracted by 17% between February and April 2020, the largest and most sudden contraction in real GDP since the Great Depression, and we're already back. Well, member for Carleton. Just the average house price. The Honourable Minister. 5.5 million Canadians lost their jobs, and they're all back. Member for Carleton. And what would they pay for the average house? The in 2020, unemployment rated more than doubled from a pre-pandemic level of 5.7% to a record of 13.7%, 6% now. Member for Carleton. I think there's a problem with the audio in the <laughs> chamber. The question was, what is the average cost of a house in Canada today? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, our government has made historic investments in housing affordability, and we will continue to do so. The Honourable Member for Carleton. And how affordable are such houses? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, our government has made historic investments in housing. We will continue to do so so that housing is affordable for all Canadians. Honourable Member for Carleton. If so, how much have house prices uh, increased since this government took office? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, let's talk about how it is possible for people to afford their houses with good employment. And that's why employment income fell by an unprecedented $28 billion during the, percent about during the pandemic. Honourable Member for Carleton. One last time, in dollars, how much have house prices risen since this government took office? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, consumer confidence is back. People are back to work. 106% of jobs have been recovered since the lowest point in the pandemic. The Honourable Member for Carleton. How much? Minister. From a steep decline in profits, we're back 66% since the bottom of the pandemic. Carleton. How much? Member. Minister. Mr. Speaker. The economy is recovering. Member for Carleton. Does the minister have any idea what it costs for the average person to buy a house in Canada? Does he have any idea, or does he even care? Mr. Speaker, the, the minister helped more than 213,000 businesses stay afloat. Well, I think that the average Canadian can see how much this government knows and cares about the cost uh, of buying a home in this country, uh, which is their, their, their level of care is zero. I'm going to give him one last chance. Can he tell us what it costs the average Canadian, Canadian to buy the average house in Canada today? How much? The Honourable Minister. Mr. Speaker, the CERB helped nearly 9 million Canadians who lost their jobs when COVID hit, making housing affordable for them. We will continue to do so. So that was uh, Pierre Poulier and uh, oh, yeah, Randy yeah. Bosonal. I mean, Pierre well, Poulier yeah. is a just... Pierre Poliever. Yeah. Pierre Pepper, we'll call him. Yeah. He's a oh no 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 a reprehensible person, like an on the record pos. Like if if I may maybe so bold to say that, he said a lot of like super racially charged things that are just just hard to swallow, and it's hard to see myself. Um. Agreeing with him on much uh, of Not even day. agreeing with him, but just sympathizing with what he's talking about. So, what exactly was he talking about here, Ray? Well, it's, it's pretty clear that he is leveraging the fact that he took the time to research how much the average house costs in Canada before this. Because <laughs> a year ago or whatever, before he knew he was going to use it as a political weapon against, you know, this clown who can't answer a simple question... He probably couldn't have answered it either because these are wealthy be people who have no connection at all to the daily struggle 
of trying to pay rent in this country for ordinary yeah. people. And that's just paying rent. That's not paying a mortgage or trying to take out a loan. Which, uh, to be fair, I mean, paying rent is harder. It's it's less, you know, it's 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 more financially burdensome. If you can get a mortgage, which is just a form of credit, you know, which you get with your social credit score. Um, right. Which they, that's what your credit score is. You know, it's it's becoming. It's it's morphing into into more, but. That's basically what it is, is the banks have decided that, you know, they're going to give you that credit, that loan, so you don't have to pay the ultra premium of someone who has to pay, you know, strictly for rent. Yeah, you know, a friend of mine asked me recently, it's like, uh, he was talking about Full House, and he was talking about the, like, that house on Full House is now worth $20 million. How do I walk into a bank and ask for a loan of that size? And I told him, well, you have to put on this mask it's got three holes in it for your eyes and your mouth <laughs> and then and then you you tell them i want 20 million dollars and they don't have that in their tills but at least you can get a down payment and then you go to another bank we do not condone bank robbery here we, we do not we, we simply admire it <laughs> we're just admitting that that's the only way you can possibly buy the house on full house and the the, the house on the house on full house isn't the same as a house in in Manitoba or in Toronto, but a million dollars these days in the Toronto area will buy you a bachelor apartment that's two hours away from Toronto downtown. It's it's obviously a huge problem. Yeah, and we find this everywhere that uh, that like the modern capitalist system exists, because what you have is you have the establishment of real estate cartels that work actively to prevent anything like low-cost housing from being built in order to maintain the value of their investments. So, you know, without really, you know, a really active, uh, you know, representation of, of working-class interests, which used to be done by the unions, uh, there's just no defense at all for, uh, for uh, affordable rent uh, controls. No, no rent controls or just, you know, the exploding, like... The middle class is renting forever. Yes. There is, there is, well, there no, is no... There is no middle class, let's be real. <laughs> right. Like, uh, as much as, like, we're, we're slightly bumping the minimum wage, but the increasing house prices are exploding at a much greater rate. And if there is no bump in the minimum wage, then there's no pressure on the median wage. That's correct. All right. Word from our sponsors, Vidosoldia, as well as blue check marks on Twitter, and 3M face masks, which you can even you can wear even when you're healthy. Our co-host Aaron McDowell is taking a beat because uh, he's had a very exhausting week dealing with a broken furnace and uh, his 12-hour day, 12-hour days at City Hall. So we're gonna finish up this uh, in regards with. The conversation we just heard between Randy. Pierre Pierre Polier and Randy Bolsonaro, and Randy Bolsonaro is Ray. You pulled this up. Yeah, Randy Bolsonaro is the Canadian uh, Minister of Tourism and Associate Minister of Finance for the Trudeau government, uh, at least since uh, October of 2021. And uh, you saw him covering himself with glory there by. <laughs> Perpetually failing to answer a simple question. A very simple question. About the cost of the average home in Ottawa, Canada's capital. And beyond just the average cost of a home in Ottawa, these housing costs have been exploding all over Canada. Yeah. Like, there's no... Uh, I mean, this has been a long trend in places like Vancouver and Toronto specifically. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Which, <laughs> to buy a... To buy, I mean, buying a home in Toronto is a non non question. You buy a condo in Toronto, and you know, if if unless you're a multi multi billionaire, you're just buying a bachelor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you're in Vancouver, the situation's been even worse for even longer. It's almost like it was possibly a mistake to allow, you know, international money to park itself in our real estate market as a, as a safe haven from you know potential political or economic instability. And it has been that way for a long time. Like most of the Vancouver housing market is at this point uh, a renter situation from people that own multiple properties. Mm-hmm. 
there's no, no one's buying homes. People are renting living spaces. Mm-hmm. And there's, especially in Vancouver, there's very little room for development. So they're stuck with what they have. Unless you're willing to, you know, move out of the metro area. Or, or to innovate. Like, there's no reason that some of these single-family dwellings could not be demolished and replaced with affordable housing. With affordable housing. But it's, it's a not-in-my-backyard type of thing. Well, yeah. I mean, that, that's where, like, the public, uh, the public opinion comes about it. But the reality is that one of the core features of our capitalist system is that real estate cartels pop up anywhere everywhere where people live and they they begin to you know actively lobby against things like public housing that would address these issues in order to keep the value of their investments high and these inevitably become one of the most powerful political organizations within any municipal government you know the you may have heard about some of the unrest in Hong Kong not too long ago well that was framed as our as our media will do strictly as sort of like a moral failure of the Chinese government. When in reality, the problem is that in living spaces, housing is incredibly expensive in Hong Kong and it's controlled ruthlessly by the real estate cartel. Yeah, that, that's this, a factor. This pressure is the foundation that leads to the kind of unrest you see, the kind of turmoil, because people just wouldn't be willing to invest themselves in that sort of thing if everything was going swimmingly and it was affordable to raise a family and just be happy and ignore the you know wider political context we exist in right and, and so again returning to Canada uh, whereas in Vancouver it's more of a more of a land issue like they're not willing to demolish uh, existing single-family dwellings or perhaps single-family dwellings that have been turned into duplexes and quadplexes and triplexes whatever but they're not willing to demolish those dwellings to make a high-rise building, which mm. perhaps could house, you know, uh, dozens and hundreds of families on a, on a multi-floor plan. But that's not an issue in the GTA, the Greater Toronto area, where they just keep expanding further and further out. Mm. And they're not expanding further and further out by building, you know, affordable housing. They're just building more suburbs, more mm-hmm. single home, single family homes, and because that's more profitable per dwelling, it is for the for the sellers for, for the, the sellers for the real estate the real estate car- market real estate cartel and the real estate uh, the uh, the real estate developer and then the real estate agent makes a greater revenue. That's right, and and the costs, as always in our in our modern system of uh, of pantomime you know, fake, you know, capitalist principles is that the costs are passed on to the public because the fact is with suburbs, the tax base does not pay for the infrastructure. So the pipes, the roads, the, ele- the electrical all begins to degrade and cannot be replaced, you know, through the actual, you know, money collected from the people who live there. Yeah. So you end up subsidizing these suburbs with the tax base collected in the core. Right. And even in the suburbs, a lot of those places aren't necessarily owned by the people living there. They're still just renting from income properties from mm-hmm. larger cartels. Or even if not cartels, then, you know, individual people that may own, you know, some number of properties anywhere from a Two or three to a half dozen to a couple to a couple dozen that are just yeah renting these properties out yeah, to mi- people that can't afford to buy minor members in the cartel exactly yes. minor members but people can't afford to buy so they end up renting that's right and it's more profitable to build houses to sell to people that are going to rent to others that's right because those are the only people with the the people that are looking to buy income properties are the only ones with the capital and uh you know the they already they already own properties that can back the loan for the next property that's right yes yeah the truth of our system is that those with the money at the start are the ones who win forever 
Right. And if you don't, if you don't have anything already backing up <laughs> your investment, uh, you can put down five percent. But if you don't already have several income properties bankrolling, you know the the the, the, the snowball of income. Yes. And this might be a good time to, to mention for any prospective mortgage takers at this time, interest rates could change. And if we're looking at the state of, of the economy nationally, globally, mm -hmm. you know, there, there's real reason to be afraid of that. You could default on your mortgage if you're not careful. Yeah, no. Uh, again, ne negative interest rates is something we touched on in, in, in our previous, previous podcast. Mm -hmm. And that has been an ongoing trend. But there is nothing preventing that from changing. Yeah, they, you know, they could make a policy decision. And in the past, I would have thought that they wouldn't do those things, you know, harm so many people like that would for political reasons. They would be, you know, remiss to do such a thing. But obviously, like, if you're paying any attention, we are entering a new era of new paradigms, you know, of, of, of inverted rules. So like I'm not so sure anymore that uh, you know such a such a move that would devastate people you know out of the ownership market and into the rental market isn't on the horizon. It kind of seems like an an eventual inevitability. Right, and and when we talk about interest rates, I mean, we're talking about the interest rates that are coming out of places like the Federal Reserve or you know the the, the central mm -hmm. institutions. Yeah, our government. Those aren't the same interest rates that the financial institution is then selling to the consumer. That's right. Because those rates are adjustable. Those yeah. rates can be changed at any time at the whims of the institution that's selling it to you because you're not taking the loan out from the central institution. You're taking the loan out from the middleman. That's right, exactly. And that middleman has a lot more leeway as to how they can you know, finance that contract that they're signing with you. And we and we've seen that, uh, you know, especially in the last ten years, there's been you know I should go a little further back than that since two thousand and eight, that there is absolutely no accountability for corporate malfeasance. They pay small fines that are just part of the cost of doing business. So like, you need you need to be prepared for a future where corporations are actively harming the public for their own benefit and the government is doing nothing but apologia for it. Because the institutions that are in place to prevent that are essentially toothless. The SEC, eroded, yes. the SEC has had their funding slashed uh, during the Trump administration, but even before that, they didn't even, ha they didn't even have enough funding before the slashing. Mm -hmm. And then while the slashing was happening, the stock market was exploding and the, the the markets were growing larger and larger and they didn't have any kind of uh, funding to try and check the receipts on this. Mm -hmm. So we're in a very precarious state of voodoo economics and unchecked profiteering. Absolutely. Because the very institutions that are meant to police uh, these these kind of uh, economic institutions do not have the funding or the power to do the due diligence. And and I and I would argue that that was intentional. They never really, they never really no. were, uh, you know, an honest broker in holding these organizations accountable. But there was a certain standard of responsibility that was enforced in our society at a time. That required them to at least, you know, do the bare minimum, and that's all gone now. It's it's been it's been proven, I think, quite thoroughly that it's just a far more effective policy to, uh, you know, to uh, cravenly serve corporate interests without restraint, and just rely on uh, your friends in the media to help cover it, you know, to keep it to keep it to keep the narrative spun in the direction that. Uh, you know, protects yeah, with thanks, government and business. With thanks to the CBC and the Sinclair-owned owned media. Again, uh, there was a famous clip from a few years back where, you know, uh, this is a great threat to our democracy, that it was the exact same line 
played over every single news network owned by this conglomerate mm. and it was just in sync everyone yeah. was saying the same thing and it was it was quite amusing at the time because it was pointed out as a particular uh, hypocrisy and failing of, of conservative media in the United States but I think we not just that. conservative it's, it was it, all it media it is a much broader trend than that it is right. it is it is everywhere I mean it was, like, what really is the difference between global CTV and CBC other other than you know they're you know a little bit of uh, you know further leaning towards the business minded uh, view right. of the world and a little less from the uh, from the uh, bourgeois liberal ideology right but when you look at specifically the states model where there's you know there's we have several parties in Canada in the states there are two parties but when you look at the two parties and the difference between them it's they have maybe some nuance on social issues and they argue about some things but when you talk about uh, foreign policy and national defense there's zero difference mm-hmm. welfare reform welfare yeah zero, again zero difference bill clinton passed all the stuff that george uh george bush senior couldn't get passed because he was a republican right <laughs> they're really on the same page Absolutely. and so getting back to this this clip that we talked about earlier between pierre pepper we'll call him and randy busanal like yes this 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 reprehensible like like racist backing conservative is asking tough questions about the economy to the this dyed in the wool liberal that's in the cabinet of uh, of uh, of Trudeau, but in the same breath, they're made for by the same people. Yeah, it's just he's only able to ask these questions because he's trying to denigrate his political opponent. And he's in opposition. If the, right. if the liberals were sitting in opposition, they'd, would, they'd be asking similar questions. It'd be the same thing. Questions. And he'd be giving the same answers. Exactly. Yep. I'd like I'd like to pretend that this is an isolated incident, but I've seen so many examples of exchanges like this from question time. It's the same it's like this every time there isn't a lot of national attention on the issue and sometimes it's like this when there is. All right. You know, and I think it's just the perfect representation. This is what your democracy looks like. This is it. This is yeah. what we get. And it reminds me of British Question Time, which is hilarious. If you ever watch the British Parliament, their Question Time is just people yelling at each other. Yes, yes. It is. It is insults thrown back and forth. But at the same time, it's also just a circus. It doesn't affect anything. It doesn't actually cause any. Like it, 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 it causes headlines in the papers and mm-hmm. good. You know, good press, I guess. You know, it causes an interesting diatribe, but it doesn't affect policy in a, any way whatsoever. It's a soap opera. It's kayfabe pro wrestling, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> pro wrestling, I think, is, is the best. <laughs> On the topic of having two parties in the States and us having a multi-party system here, I think we're seeing, once again, from our proximity to the United States and the way we're being absorbed by it culturally... Mm-hmm. We have we have a narrowing, and and the support, the 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 blanket support of the NDP for the unconstitutional invocation of the Emergencies Act, I think makes very clear that our system, despite having apparently m- many parties, really is just a two-party system as well. We have the Liberals and their enablers, and we have the Conservatives and their enablers, and currently. The Liberal Party is the the obviously the more powerful of the yeah, two. The, they seem to represent the uh, uh, closer approximation to the center of Canadian opinion yep. than the Conservatives do today. And with the NDP so thoroughly overtaken by, like you know, clearly the same ideological, uh, pe- you know, people of the same ideological makeup milieu. As the Liberal Party, you know, there, there, there's no representation of real sort of, uh, you know, trade unionism or any of the traditional things that were supposed to make, you know, working class representation a thing. Like, you, you see it. You see, you, you see how Jagmeet, Jagmeet Singh is literally just 
you know, Orange Trudeau. It's just Orange Trudeau with a beard and a little well, more cultural it, diversity. They're, they're both on the World Economic Forum. Yeah, that's right. You have young leaders. Yeah. Uh, and there is a problem in terms of electoral reform. Because, as we said on the previous pod, Trudeau ran on electoral reform mm -hmm. as the second biggest issue. The first biggest issue was legalization of cannabis, which obviously happened because it was obviously going to be good for the economy and it made him look good both socially and economically. And it worked out great. Turns out our biggest cash crop, after it, you know, became legal, turned into a fucking cash cow for the federal government and for provincial governments. Oh, that was great. However, the second biggest issue, which is to this day the second biggest issue on the mind of the voters, is electoral reform. And he still it hasn't even tried addressing that since the time he was first elected, even though it was one of the biggest platforms on his ticket. Yeah, he waved it off immediately, saying that, oh, Canadians just wanted to get rid of Harper. Which, for anyone who actually likes to imagine they have some principles should have immediately been disqualifying like i don't care if you voted for him and you preferred him to the conservatives i preferred him to the conservatives at the time too absolutely me too but that being said i mean this was this was such a blatant on the face of it abrogation of of duty of duty to the truth of his of his commitments you know because that's well, I don't need to explain why it's a problem that politicians lie and renege on the promises. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just but, it's kind of what they do. But it was just so on the nose that, you know, he just appealed to the emotionality of, of, of Canadians who aren't really, you know, yeah, but politi even, politically engaged. But even to this day, even in a time of economic upheaval, growing housing costs, um, the pandemic that just that, that were seemingly getting over now the second biggest issue after economy and pandemic which are linked together inherently mm. the second biggest issue on their people's minds is still electoral reform because we don't have the same system of checks and balances as the states does as much of a joke as that system is we still have a senate that's completely irrelevant well, is it is it irrelevant? I mean, they really do hold the power to... Right, but the way that it's appointed... Yes. And... And the liberals pretend theirs are independence now. It's, right. It's so ridiculous. We have an appointed Senate, and the appointments are based on uh, populations and representative populations that... As to when those uh, provinces joined our confederacy or uh, our union... And, again, the fact that it's appointed and the fact that they don't even have to show up. Mm. Like, you will still get paid in our Senate if you just vote once a year. Mm -hmm. And if you vote twice a year, that's a full salary. <laughs> and, and it's a guaranteed pension. Forever. And you're fine forever. Yes. And you don't actually have to show up because you're not answerable to anyone. Yeah. You it doesn't matter. You can just, like, you, as, as soon as you're appointed, you're fine forever. And I think that because we only really have one representative part of our democracy, which is the House of Commons, whereas uh, we also have the Governor General, which is just a, a blank check. Like, the, 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 uh, the Governor General will sign anything well it's all formalities right it, that's just a formality it's all formalities right. until they need it to not be right and so, then you'll discover all of a sudden that those little formalities like the queen needing to give her blessing aren't so aren't such irrelevant in formalities after all right when they leverage it to destroy some sort of movement right so as of right now the formalities we have in place is the governor general so the equivalent of a president and then the other formality is the senate which you know, discusses things, but again, it's it's not representative because they're not accountable to anyone. So the only truly representative body of uh, of politicians we have is the House of Commons, which is completely ruined by party politics. Is 
a complete inability for people to speak openly their minds on issues because they'll be booted from the party if they deviate from the line. Right, and because of our electoral system, like we'll like we'll like the the whole you know argument of of the of reform which Trudeau ran on as one of his biggest issues mm-hmm. that he hasn't bothered addressing, like first past the post, all of that. All of the nuance, all of the things that we possibly want to change, and that's just the House of Commons. Let's talk about maybe having a second body, uh, you know, in terms of having a checks and balances system. Maybe we have a Senate that's maybe elected, or maybe we have it has some sort of accountability to the people of Canada, where it doesn't. Like every bill that comes from the House of Commons. Still has to pass through the Senate, mm-hmm. but guess what? That's just a blank check. It doesn't really matter. Maybe if we, maybe if that Senate was, you know, in some way answerable to the people, wouldn't that be crazy? Because even like the states, as flawed as it is, as like in its actuality, in in the execution of the flawed system of the states at least they have the principle of we have two chambers the same as same as uh uh same as the uk they have at least two different two separate bodies but we don't have an elected second body and the second body we do have is lifetime appointments Mm. like a supreme court and inevitably comes from one of the two ruling parties Right, because we've, we've only parties. we've only ever had two ruling parties. Yes. There has been always been you know the Bloc Quebecois, and at a certain point we got the NDP, and we now have the Green Party, which is largely irrelevant. It's just it's just splitting the Liberal vote further. Well, you'd be surprised actually with the ideological background of uh, a lot of the modern Green Party. It's it's very much like you see this in Europe with green parties as well. It's been very much infiltrated by business interests and people who want to like, yeah. you know, leverage the appearance of, of green politics while, you know, basically pursuing the same sort of capitalist, you know, accumulation yeah. it's agenda. Just, it's, it's just a different, it's a different branding. It's different branding for conservative politics in a lot of cases. Like fine, fiscal conservative is what I mean. Yeah. Like yeah. basically like the so-called green party that we have it's it's honestly unfortunately all of the greens seem to give up on principles and sort of resort to like expediency so what they'd like to do is see the prevention of development of third world countries because imagine all the carbon those people are gonna produce but i mean one way or the other those people don't really have much of a voice that's right like Whatever squabbles, whatever quabbles that those voices are having within oh, their squab- party, squabbles. Are you talking about squabbles? I think you just invented a new word. No, I said uh, quabbles, but quibbles. Quibbles. Yes. Yeah. So whatever okay. arguments they're having within their party are only preventing you know the voices that are voting for them from being heard in the greater picture. Because when people vote for that, you know, the, the, when people vote for the Green Party, they don't have a caucus. They're just you know mm. several people that uh, within the House of Commons that don't really end up mattering. They're just drawing vote. They're just drawing power away from a, from the larger left-wing parties. Mm-hmm. They're not contributing and, you know, the voices that are contributing are very um, milk toast. They're very milk toast and, and they're, they're, they fight within with they fight within their own structures so much that the message is so far diluted once it does get mm. into what they're delivering yeah. to the House of Commons. The best we can get is a ban on plastic straws. That's that's right. That's what yeah. we get. How great are the paper straws? <laughs> oh, we should, we, we should get a sponsorship from the paper straws. My, my favorite part is how when I'm I'm halfway finished drinking my drink, I can then eat the straw. <laughs> that's it's, right. It's wonderful. You know what I don't hate so much is the straws from places like Booster Juice. Like the uh, the straws made from like uh, the bioplastics, mm. not so bad. They're, those are fine. Yeah, except for the fact that bioplastic is in fact uh, plastic. Yes, and uh, it's not different in any way. It's the same <laughs> molecule. 
and it has all the same negative consequences on the environment. But right. it was made with plants, <laughs> so was, green. Yeah, we just converted plants into plastic. That's right. We just skipped the whole fossil fuel stage where it sits in the ground for a while. Yeah. And now we make the 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 poison straight from nature. <laughs> straight from goodness. corn. Yeah. Straight from nature's goodness into uh, your landfill this, or this, the or the beach of your ocean. Brought to you by uh, high fructose corn syrup. That's right. And blue check marks on Twitter. And uh, 3M medical face mask. Medical face mask. You can wear them even when you're healthy. Even when you're healthy. Uh, well, this has been a uh, a very heavy episode, and uh, I yes. hope that you don't judge us too much. Uh, we'll be back again. You can judge me. I'll be judging you. <laughs> we'll be judging ourselves. We'll be back next week. And uh, who knows what we'll talk about? Maybe it'll be, uh, you know, World War III.